If you do, I want to jump right into our lesson. This is our second lesson in a principle series. And principles are guiding uh, fundamental factors or ideas. This is the principle of placement, and I really want to just talk about the place. David served his generation by the will of God. And I just want you to note that we serve the Lord in our time. Let me just help you with that before we move forward. We can't get too far ahead of ourselves in prediction. And we can't live in yesteryear. We can't worry too much about what's going to happen next year or be afraid of next year or the year after. To that end, we live like the Lord is coming back today. We plan like he's coming back in a hundred years. But we must be active in our generation. Now, you might say, well, pastor, what generation is that? It's, it's everyone who's alive. This generation is not confined to a demographic. David did not serve one particular demographic. Now, this is often lost on people when we say we have to serve our generation because they, our minds go to maybe some other age that we are not. But everyone who's alive is in this particular generation. And so God has put us in a place where it's incumbent upon us to do something for the kingdom. Um, on your handout, just as the burden is never greater than the ability, um, there are spiritual battles also that are relative to the position of the believer. And so, uh, there's a little cliche, I'm not really inclined to it too much, but someone told me some time ago, Brand new levels mean brand new devils. Whatever. But maybe there might be some validity to that, you know. But I do think that there is spiritual warfare that that is incited when you're doing work for the kingdom. So maybe maybe there's a greater spiritual battle, but I, I don't know if there's any brand new demons out there. I think they've been around a long time and... They're going to fight us no matter what. But I do understand that God does put us in a place or a location that he designs. I just want you to know that if, hear this now, if your steps are ordered of the Lord, if he ordered your steps, then you are here even in this moment by design of the Holy Ghost. Now you might say, well, pastor, I, I chose to come. Yes, that's good. But if, but if your, but if your steps are ordered the Lord, then He drew you and He ordered your way. I, I don't want to go somewhere that the Lord did not arrange. I'm hoping that whatever I'm doing, it's according to His divine will. And I think He has brought us together. And as the scripture says, for such a time as this. Just think about this. You, you didn't, you didn't just show up. God put you here for a reason. He drew you so that we can do an end time work in the last days of time. On your handout, I just want to cover a few things. And this is, 
the place of the believer or a placement. There is a place called faith. That is actual location. Now we walk by faith, but there's a place called faith. And, and that place of faith comes with some attributes. I don't have this on your handout. You can write it in the margins. The place or the location of faith is often obscure. You, you, it, it, that place is never, a place called faith is never really a location where you feel completely comfortable. It's not, you don't always just feel great, you know, because if you did, then you were relying upon your own natural human ability. Um, in this particular uh, verse in Romans chapter 4, being fully persuaded, what he had promised he was able to perform, speaking of Abraham, because of that persuasion. Now, this is a persuasion. The persuasion that Abraham had was in God, but it didn't have attributing evidence that give, that gave him a solidification that what he was doing and where he was going was exactly where he wanted to go. He did not know, but he was persuaded that whatever God promised, God was able to perform. And when I say that to you, this almost sounds... It, 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 it basically, I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, it's almost trite because Abraham's life has been fully dissected. And we talk, about, we talk about Abraham's life. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Much longer than we, about 4,000 years maybe, we've been talking about Abraham. But when, it gets, when Abraham's life is starting to apply to us, we're not really comfortable. We're glad that Abraham had that moment, but we're not always comfortable with it. But Abraham was persuaded, and because he was persuaded, he did not have to have concrete evidence. He, was, he didn't just walk by faith, he was in a place of faith. It was a placement. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that was imputed to him, but for us also. Think of that. To whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So, Abraham's life was not just conducted for himself alone, but for you and me. And God can move you into a place of faith, a placement, where you have to completely rely upon him. Where, you, where you're, living in, you're living by faith, but you're walking by, and you're walking by faith, but, but that location is all surrounded by faith. It's like a house. Um, it's, like a, it's like a living area. It's an environment. That's, that's a place that, that the believer eventually, ultimately, will find themselves. The second is the position of obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all that they do obey his commandments, his praise endureth forever. The, the position of obedience is, a, is also a placement. It, but God does not force you into that. You put yourself into a place of obedience. This is not in your handout, so you can write little things in your margin. Or if you, if you, if I don't give you any good notes, you can write your grocery list in your margin. Whatever you wish to write, you could write a smiley face if you like. But if you want to write something in your margin, just know this: a, a, a place of obedience is not always comfortable for you. Of the place of obedience does not always it, it's not always congruent with what you want. 
God doesn't ask you your opinion. <laughs> obedience, obedience has a lot to do with submission. In fact, obedience has a lot to do with being the antithesis of your flesh. So there is a position, and that position is, really people can't put you in that position. You put yourself there. And then there's a third. Now there's many. I'm not exhausting all of these. I'm just offering you. And then there's a third. That's the pursuit of Jesus Christ. This is another place. And that is always running after him. That I may know him. That I might know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. It's, it is a pursuit. I want to know him. And Paul will, will say two areas. The power of his resurrection. And I'm sorry to tell you this. But there are many Christians, Pentecostals, apostolics in fact, that only desire to know the Lord and the power of his resurrection. They reject knowing him and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul did not leave it just in power. He also left it in fellowship of suffering. I've been in church all of my life. I grew up in the church. My father pastored all of my life. I woke up in the church. I fell asleep in the church. I got in trouble in the church. I got, I escaped from mother in the church. I played in the back of the church. I, uh, they finally let me play the drums so I'd have something to do. Um, I, we didn't have any cymbals. We just had toms. My grandmother, Farino, bought a, a cymbal. I finally got a hi-hat. Um, they finally said, we got to make sure that Jeffrey doesn't have a lot of stuff. He'll hit all the drums. The more drums we have, he'll hit them. Because I wanted to hit them. It was a wonderful time to play the drums. It gave me something to do in the church. I've grown up in the church all my life. When we were growing up, we had testimony service. It was the longest part of the service. Everybody stood up and testified. You know, and some of those testimonies were not short testimonies. Some of them didn't glorify God at all. Some of them was just a report of what that individual had done for the day. Uh, if the lady stood up and said it all began in 1963, you know that we were going to have the, uh, once again, the history of her life. Uh, we've, uh, we've had people argue during testimony service and people rebuke one another during testimony service. The power of God fell during testimony service and, and of course other things fell during testimony service, which we won't speak of. My grandfather would stand up and testify. When my grandmother thought he was done, she would start pulling on his jacket and they would have an argument and he would say to her, Annie, Annie, I am not done. The people want me to keep talking. Um, uh, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people stand up in testimony service and I, I am seeking God. I want the power of the Holy Ghost. I mean, man, if I had, I've heard that thousands of times. I'm seeking for the power of the Holy Ghost. But in conversation, I've never, ever heard anyone stand up and say, I'm excited. I want to enter a season of the fellowship of his sufferings. Nobody ever walks around saying, things are going so well, but I can't wait till the next season. And suffer. In fact, when we get into that, if you don't enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, you'll never know him in full. You'll know him in part, but you won't know him. Paul is going to give us the indication he's pursuing something in Jesus Christ. It is a position of pursuit. And then he says... I'm going to be made conformable unto his death. That attends to the word suffering. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So the majority of what he just said had to do with sufferings. It did not have to do with power. It didn't have to do with power, authority, 
I want authority of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to rebuke the devil. Yes. And also, would you like to have a little Gethsemane time and crucifixion and false accusations? And would you like to have that? Oh, no. No. Because we believe that the Lord is not very good to us if we go through trouble. Let's just dispel that notion here. These are placements of life. Some of you are in positions of authority and power. Some of you are in positions of suffering and loss. But if you are chasing after the Lord, don't get discouraged. Your season will change. (laughs) Oh, yes. I won't preach myself for a little bit here. All right, Jeffrey, listen. All right. Let's just consider a couple things. I'll give you a few scriptures. James 4, 6. I love this. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God will resist the proud, but he giveth, gives grace to the humble. Here's a position of life. You seek out humility and God gives you extra grace. You live arrogantly and <laughs> you're in trouble. Now, positions may be unequal in level, but they're generally equal in nature. We have different positions, but in nature, uh, they are the same. And let me just, I clarify this from the Lord's parable. He gave five talents, two talents, and one talent. I like this, this word. I gave it a little emphasis on your handout. According to the individual's ability, their individual or distinct, uh, several would mean distinction or their ability, their distinct or particular ability. So God gives you different gifts, different talents, according to what you can handle. And I want to remind you that the talent in this particular scripture and in the Bible, the talent meant a weight. It was a weight of measurement. So some people say, well, I'm, I, I only have, I have, I'm just a one talent person. You're a five talent person. That's not what the Bible's talking about. You can have five talents. It could be five 75 pound talents of, of wool. The person with one talent might have 75 pounds of gold. We belittle the one talent uh, gift because we think it's we don't we think they're all equal they're not equal if you look back in the book of Exodus you'll find out that a talent weighed seventy five pounds roughly in our measurement so when we compare ourselves say well they're a three talent person or a four ta- what does that mean are you talking about are you talking about giftings because that's a different thing so uh, so you could have wool or cotton or or you could have you could have some kind of idea or piece uh, but that's not what the Lord was talking about. He was talking about an ability. I'm giving you an ability. It could be that the man that had one talent, his one talent might have been worth all the other talents that were distributed that day. There's no particular substance that was just a particular weight. And so I would just say that you're in, in nature, in the nature of it, it's equal. All of us have a talent. And we all have to exercise that. Now, for this lesson, I'm going to just extrapolate a little bit of of the life of Moses. So here is the life of Moses. Moses will live 120 years. When he died, he, he was not 
old. His eyes were not weak. His strength was not gone. It was just time for him to die. And God decided it's time for you to die. And God, I don't know how else to say this. God put him down. And God buried him. And God buried Moses in a place where no one knew. And I think the reason why is because of this little thing called Nehushtan. <laughs> well, what's that? Nehushtan. In fact, Moses had first made that. It was a, the people were complaining. and They wanted something from, from Moses. They got what they wanted, but sometimes God gives you things you pray for. You should not pray for that. Don't, don't pray for that. He might give you what you want. It's not, it's not healthy. So they got it and they all got sick because manna wasn't good enough. So God said, listen, take a pole, wrap a bronze serpent, form that, lift it up, carry it around. Everyone who looks on that pole will be healed. This was the, a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. That's the scripture. But 400 to 700 years, somewhere in there, late years later, they were still carrying around the bronze serpent. And they called it Nehushtan. And they made it into this god. When really, that was just for a moment of time. <laughs> so they had to break that thing and destroy it. Because they were making the, the thing that God used uh, its own god. So I think that the reason why Moses was buried by the Lord in a nondescript location is because he would have become this, um, this, this uh, hero and he was already the, the greatest leader they'd ever known. He brought them all out. He'd become a legend and then they would have worshipped his, his tomb. So God buried him and God put him down and God cloaked him and nobody knew where Moses was buried. Moses lived 120 years. The first 40 years of his life, there was times of establishment. And the, 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 the early part was establishment. We don't want to deviate from, from the law that his mother put in him. It was the word of the Lord. It was, uh, it was the carryover from the days of Abraham because the law of Moses had not been written. It was sacrifice was in there. The people of God was in there. And he learned that, but most of those years were, the, were, were described as years of leisure because he lived as a prince in Pharaoh's household. Now, when you're living and you're drinking from the silver cup, the longer you stay drinking from the silver cup, the harder it is to relate to people. <laughs> if the son never has to work and the daughter never has to get up out of bed, it's a hard switch. It's hard to go from living in the palace. Or as my father used to say, this is not a holiday inn. You kids get up. You're not living in a hotel. (laughs) It's hard to go from there to leadership. So there's got to be something in between. Anyone who leads anyone else, any leader has to go through a proving time. And that is the years of learning. That always happens in the desert, in a wilderness place. And the third is leading. 
So you go from leisure to learning to leading. Those were the three segments of Moses' life. He was 40 years as the prince of Egypt. He was 40 years in the backside of Midian with his father-in-law, learning to lead people. How did he learn to lead them? Because he was a shepherd. And the best way to lead people is to be a shepherd of sheep. And finally, he became the leader, and he became what, what they would have called the lawgiver and the deliverer. Now, Moses had a placement and on the back side of your paper, on the other side, we're just going to talk about his placement. The placement of Moses, however, was not up to him. It was up to his parents, his father and his mother. So all the parents that are listening to me, let me just tell you, you have to lead and place your children and sometimes your grandchildren in the right path. I, I want to say this over and over and over again. There is no such thing as a void. If you're not talking... Someone else is talking. There is no such thing as a void. If you say, well, I just didn't want to say anything. Don't worry. Someone else will say something. And it probably is the wrong thing. If you're not defending your faith, someone's tearing it down. If you're not telling your children, hey, listen, this is wrong. This is immoral. Someone else is speaking to them and saying this is right. There is no such thing as a void. Someone is talking all the time. So if you say, I just didn't feel like it was my place to stand up and say, well, you know, we need to consider, you know, what the Lord says. That's fine. Don't, don't stand up. Someone else has already taken that role. And chances are, if someone stands up and takes that role or takes that void, what they're going to do is fill it with corruption and lies and deception and argumentation that's against the word of God. And why is that? Because by and large, what Christianity did wrong was, they, they, they adopted the meekness of Jesus Christ. They wanted the lamb of God, but they didn't want the lion of God. So no one knew how to defend their faith. You don't really know what you believe until you have to defend what you believe. The best way to learn how to defend your faith is to teach someone a Bible study who doesn't believe your faith. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that, I, after I was embarrassed a few times from, the, from my friends of the Church of Latter-day Saints when I was a teenager and I got embarrassed from a Jehovah's Witness kid that I, that I was witnessing to and, and then from another young person that, that went to a, a denominational church, I learned what I believed and I had to use the scripture. But before I did that, I wasn't even sure. I just said, like everybody says, well, that's just what my pastor says. That's what my church teaches. Well, what do you believe? What do you believe? So the first placement is given by parents and that is a place to keep our children, keep our families. And that's called boundaries, walls, fences, and gates. And the second thing that Moses had was a decision to release him. So the first position is to keep and the second is to release. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. It's to keep and then to release. I, I want to I just say this to all of you that have children in your home. Do your very best to fight every battle that you can while you can. Don't think that those battles are too small to fight when they're young. You bypass that and the battles only get worse. And we want to keep all of our children and our grandchildren, if that applies to you, it doesn't apply to me. Keep your grandchildren in the church also. Amen. 
don't let my hair fool you. I just, I just dye it to look at gray like this. I'm, I'm really not this old. Um, let's talk about these segments. And these are the segments in the places of our lives. The first is kind of these home segments and they're home initiatives. And they don't, maybe you don't have children at home, but there's, but there's the first segment of the place is the home. And the home is the place where, where everything originates. And unlike, um, unlike the misnomers of yesteryear, where we thought it all began at, at, uh, at the church or the altar, we were confused. We were maybe, maybe it wasn't a smart thing to say. It, it should begin at your home. Worship should begin at your home. The Bible reading should begin at your home. Your home should be a place where the Lord's invited. Try not to keep him here at the church. When you walk out, enter your own house with thanksgiving. Enter your own house with praise. Find out what is going on. Um, my second place is called environment because the home is a location, but, uh, but the environment is the, is the position, disposition of your life. What is the feeling there? When you go home, what is it that, that, that you feel in your home? I, I don't know if you've ever been in this, in this place before, but I, I've walked into places where the tension was so high and I had not heard anyone say anything, but I just walked. Have you ever been there where you walked into a place and you just felt the tension? You just felt like something just happened. Something's going on in here. You know, you don't, you don't feel comfortable. I've, I've walked in other places. I can walk into my pastor's house. When I go to Pastor Stark and Sister Stark's house, when I walk into their home, there's something about that home. I just walk in and, and, and it doesn't matter what they say. I just feel the peace of God. Now I can, I know where that comes from. It comes from everyday prayer that pastor prays every day in his living room, every day. And you can feel it when you walk in the house. There's some, something. It's an environment. And we set the environment by multiple ways. This is not on your paper, but you got a lot of margin to write if you need to write. But if you can't write, remember this, imprint this in your brain. Put a little imprint right in your brain. You set the environment and you set it first by what's in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meditation of your heart. Out of your mouth, you set the environment by what you say. And then you set that environment. If your words are sharp and cutting and you just say, well, that's just how I am. Well, then that's okay. Then, then, then I guess if you want to live with an environment, a disposition that's sharp and cutting, that's what you get. Because it comes from the heart, first in the heart, what you meditate, and then out of your mouth. It, then it's actions of your home. What you allow, what you don't allow. And, and, and what kind of grace and mercy that you give inside of the environment. You're setting the environment everywhere you go. In your car, in your home, wherever you are. The first place that you are, the first place is, your, is, is where you spend your time. And then it's in that home, it's conduct. Letter C is conduct. Uh, are, we, are we there? Did I, did I, did I, am I not on your home conduct truth? Oh man. Okay. So I've got something else here. That's right. I'm sorry. Home conduct truth. So conduct would be in, I apologize. Just put conduct and environment. We'll get to truth. I had four. I still had four down, but you have three. Uh, that's good. The, 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 the truth means that there is 
the absence of a lie. Now, half a truth is a whole lie. Let's do that again. Look, honey, you're so pretty. You're beautiful. You're beautiful, honey. Look how beautiful you are. This is Abraham to his wife, Sarah. Listen, we're going to go into this place and they're going to kill me because you're so pretty. Let's tell them that you're my sister. This is a very selfish man. Because <laughs> you're so pretty, everybody wants you. That's Dr. Hook. You remember Dr. Hook? When you're in love with a beautiful woman. I'm sorry, that's a 1970s song. We heard it on the radio. And he lied. It was half a truth, though, because it was true. It was a, there, was a, there was a relationship there. There was a, there was a bloodline there. But truth is where we start, and that's honest communication and honest living and pure, pure living and speaking right. I'm not talking about hateful speech. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love. I'm talking about setting that first segment, and the place of it has to be honest communication. There are a few home initiatives that I that I would that I would go over with you. Relationships, priorities, uh, doctrines, and absolutes. When you when you when you create the environment, it's through your conduct. But let's just talk about relationships and priorities and, and doctrine and absolutes. In that first position, you should be talking about boundaries, healthy relationships, what your priorities are. I, I, I'm, maybe I'm just a salesman for coming to church. I don't know if, that, if that's the case and count me guilty. But I think the priority ought to be church attendance. You know, if there's going to be a priority, it, it ought to be, let's do that at a different time on our different day. Let's, let's go to church. Um, you wouldn't want me to say anything different, right? You, you would want me to promote church attendance. I, I'd hope you want me to do that. Um, I'm certainly not going to promote you staying home. I want you to come to church unless you're very ill. Um, even if you have a bad attitude, come to church with your bad attitude. Who knows? And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about you, you know. I brought my bad attitude with me. Put it right down next to me, Patrick. Okay. Uh, talk about your, 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 your doctrine. What's the doctrine? It's a, you know, what is the doctrine? What's your doctrine? Jesus spoke to the apostles, and, and from that, we get the scripture of the apostles' doctrine. Whose doctrine? That was really the doctrine of Jesus Christ, but because they adopted it and propagated it, it became the apostles' doctrine, when in reality, it all came from Jesus Christ. But what's your doctrine? What do you believe? And it ought to come from the apostles. It ought to come from Jesus Christ. Has, but what is, what is your place? And where is that doctrine established? Once again, it cannot be just something that's a religious experience that you, that you happen upon on Sundays. And then your absolutes are... Non-negotiables. What are your absolutes? We just absolutely don't do that. And as I as I've been in this way all so many years, I've 
I've figured out that there are many people who just don't have any absolutes. Everything becomes subjective. It's because our world is in this constant state of flux. But what are your absolutes? I will not cross this line. This is exactly what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to do that. And there's got to be absolutes in your life. And if they're not absolutes in your life, guess what happens to, the, to, to truth and environment? Guess what happens to that? Guess what happens to home? It becomes diluted because you don't believe what you say. You're not. So the first place is your home. There should be home initiatives. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. I want to just tackle a little bit of that to be ready to give an answer. The way that you're ready to give an answer is because you know the word. You have to know the word. Please don't sit in this church year after year and shrug your, shrug your shoulders and say, well, I just didn't really know what to say. There's been so much word and there will be continue to have word. But it's not just from this pulpit. This, it's, the, it's the promotion, full out promotion of you reading the scripture so that you know what to say. Um, and I think that in the life of Moses, if you look at the home initiative in the life of Moses, it was the earliest years until he was released to go to the house of Pharaoh. Mama, Jochebed, she instilled in Moses so much truth so quickly. Why? Why? She didn't wait till he was 12 or 14. Well, you know what? I think you're almost out of high school. I think you, should, you ought to be getting baptized. No. You know what? I'll tell you, when you, when you become 16, we're all going to go to the altar and we're going to pray that the Holy Ghost... What are you talking about? Jacobet was on a full-out race to put as much of God in Moses. It was like cramming for an exam, making sure he knew there is only one God. His, he is Jehovah Jireh. There is only one Lord. The God you serve is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Come on, repeat after me. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Until Moses had this in his mind. You're not like an Egyptian. I'm going to send you there, but you're always going to be a Hebrew. He, she did not wait. And the reason why we know that is because even after he was released, and we're not exactly sure of the time. Let's say it's five years old. Let's say it's four or five years old. That by that time, he is so inundated with his mother's teaching because she has had the opportunity to keep him that by the time he gets there, he still remembers when he's 40. I'm not like you. I'm not like this. I've been drinking from that silver cup and it's not satisfying my life. This is not my home. You're not my people. I belong to something else. I'm a child of another country. This is not my life. I'm an off, I'm an offspring of Abraham and it ate him up and he did the wrong thing, but it was still, he, 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 he tried to defend a brother that he never, that he identified with, but no one knew that he identified. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't tell anybody that he was really not the son of Pharaoh. It was not the grandson of Pharaoh. 
So, so the first initiative before you do anything is, is you, you plant as deep as you can. And if, and if, and if you're at this point in your life, then you go home and tomorrow morning you start cramming every day like you're going to be on a test and you got to be ready to give an answer and you want to know as much about God as you can possibly know. And don't think that you're just going to get it just on Sundays or Wednesdays. Amen. I'm certain that you don't eat your food just on Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm positive of that. Don't tell me how I know. Don't ask me. Okay, the second segment before I become inappropriate here. The second segment is preparation. It's the, it's the preparation. And, and Moses had to learn this, and I think we all have to learn this. There's a segment in our, of our lives. It's not a welcome thing. It's not, it's, it's, it's not always fun. It's not always filled with glamour. And, and, I, and it doesn't take up the bulk of it, but, but at least not for Moses, but, but maybe, maybe there's, it's, maybe, maybe it, maybe there's a majority segment here. Surely it was that way for some of the apostles and some of the prophets who spent their lives preparing and then ended up preaching just a, a few years. Moses spent 40 years learning work ethic and discipline and the fun things that he got to do at Pharaoh's house he didn't get to do in the desert the royal family he was a part of no one cared when he went out to the field and he would never have understood people without this this thought in his mind he had to learn servanthood everyone say servanthood it's a place of life servanthood I don't think you ever get out of servanthood but I just want at least say there, there's a preparation in servanthood. And, and in that place, you have to retrain yourself. There's a lot of people that need to be retrained. I want you to, be, I want you to retrain your thinking, retrain your, 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 your life. When I say leadership, I don't want you to think that you have to have a position in the church to be a leader. You've got to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. And when you lead someone, if you'll just lead one person this year to Jesus, if you'll just lead one person to the altar, if you'll just lead one person to the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, you'll have accomplished what God wants you to do in your life. But to lead, you have to serve. You have to learn that. You're never going to get really into leading until you learn how to serve. And the second thing is to retrain. You have to retrain your thinking. You retrain your mind. And, I, I, and I, I wish I didn't have to say it, but it seems to me that the modern day church has become so inundated with the, with the corruption of the world that we have to almost clean our brain when we walk into the church house. That when we, when we come to worship, it takes a couple of minutes before we can even just kind of gather ourselves and sigh. And, and, and it ought not be that way, but that's exactly what's happening because there's a pressing of the world. There's a spirit of the age upon us. And you almost have to retrain your brain each time you walk in. I'm in the house of God. The king is here. And some people never get it. They go through the whole service and, and they never realize that Jesus walked in the building. Because in our, in our, in our, in our harried lives and our busy days, we, we, we come in and we're, 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 we don't retrain, we don't clean our brain, brain. We don't, we don't wash our spirits. We're, we're not ready for that. And the reason why we're not ready is because we, we've taken so much time and in investing our minds, our thoughts, our energies, our reading, the media, all the stuff in the world that by the time we get here, we can't hardly concentrate on what's happening when there's songs and worship going on we the reason why we sing before we preach is because 
We're trying to tear up that hard ground so that the seed can be planted. That's why we do it. We don't, we don't do it because it's just a, a tradition. We do it because we're trying to open up our hearts and emotions to the Lord so that we're tender, so that the word, the seed is planted and it has some place to land and it won't die. And then finally, it's, it is preparation. Please don't, don't think of this as redundant, but it is preparation. You are preparing. You're always preparing. In the middle of your life, you're preparing. And some of us will say, man, I'm back at that again. <laughs> Who heard me preach Sunday? Who remembers what I preached Sunday? I thought by now, I thought by now I'd, I'd learn how to have a better response. I thought by now I could have a little bit of self-control. and thought by now I'd have my temper under control. thought by now I'd, I'd learn where the pitfalls are. I thought by now I'd, I'd get past all that. But guess what? Sometimes we got to go back again and prepare ourselves again. This is, what, this is the life of Moses. Look, Moses, he had to flush out all the things that he had once assumed. He's going to go back to the very hallways that he played in. He's going to go back to the palace. He's going to go back to the king's court. He cannot go back until he prepares. He's not the same man when he walks back into the presence of a brand new pharaoh with whom he has no relationship with. And so... There's a change. Uh-oh, there's a change. That's what I love to call the wilderness theology. There's changes. You probably don't understand what you believe or who you are until you get into the wilderness. And wilderness is, is an incredible place, but it's not something people are really wanting I draw your attention to a season of learning and understanding. and I want to know what are you doing in your wilderness? Don't lay down and die in your dark time. Learn what you believe, what your doctrine is, what your convictions are. How to grow. There's things that your mama can't teach you. There's things that your teacher can't teach you. There are many things your pastor cannot teach you. Only the wilderness can teach you. No profound preacher or teacher that we could ever bring in here is ever going to teach you the things that the wilderness can teach you. But when you're in a dark time and I feel the Holy Ghost and you're in a lonely time and you're, and you're, and you're walking, there's no water and you're trying to do right, but you don't even really know what to do and you're out of your element. That's when you learn things that no one else can teach you. It's in your loss that you, that you learn. It's in the fellowship of his sufferings. And there is a, there is an understanding there. Take advantage of that so that you don't go back over it again. It's, it's the, the middle section of life. And you know, we're not ready for that at a young age. We, we don't get it. We're not, we're not ready to absorb that. I'll, I'll just give you a couple aspects of this wilderness. When you're in the wilderness, you lead in the field. Until you learn to lead in the field, you can't lead anybody else. <laughs> if you want to know what I think, I, I think Moses had to learn how to lead himself. <laughs> yeah. 
He needed to learn how to lead. And that's what the field teaches him. Let her be. He had to deal with loneliness and isolation. Because in the wilderness, that's where you really learn how to live with isolation and loneliness. And, and, and there's some, some fear wrapped up in that. Don't get discouraged or think that God's left you or you're in the wrong place. God, God allows that place in your life. These are principles at work. Amen. Finally, there's just this word called listening. And man, that's a hard thing for people to do. I know it's hard for me. Let me just confess. That's hard for me to listen, to hear the voice of God. Let me tell you, or give you maybe, let's, let's rephrase. Let me offer you a few ways to listen to the Lord. First, turn off all the noise of everything else. God is a gentle Savior. He never knocks down your door. He won't climb through the window. He stands at the door and he knocks. He'll speak to you, but he won't yell at you. Turn down the noise. Turn down all the things. For me, fasting is what turns down the noise. He's riding in the car with me all the time. Fasting is what turns down the radio so I can start hearing him. My sacrifice to the Lord and my time, listening to the Lord. Sometimes in prayer, I just pause, close my eyes, and wait. Sometimes I don't hear anything. That's good for me too. <laughs> Sometimes I have an impression. We, we, don't, we don't do real well with listening to God or listen for God or waiting on God. But in the wilderness, he puts us in a place where there's no one else to talk to. And there's more aspects of this thought, but I'll let you develop them on your own. And then the final segment that I offer you tonight is something that happened with Moses. And that segment is 40 years. It's a 40-year journey. But to be true and to be in the reality, to be, to be real with the intention of God, it was never supposed to last 40 years. It was supposed to be leading them from Egypt into the promised land, which should have only taken a handful of months. But by design, not of the Lord... But by design of the negative report of the people, Moses then spent the last 40 years of his life leading the people. And he had to do it in a precise manner. He had to do it with the, with the tabernacle plan. He had to do it with obeying the voice of God. He had to do it with multiple different um, uh, attributes that he was not always uh, equipped to handle. Let's just, can I just go to, can I go to the last, can you, can you fill in the letter C? Can we go to letter C? Is that okay? Is, is, is this thing developed for just letter C? Okay, don't go to letter C. Never mind what I just said. Don't put it up there, but I want you to write letter C. Self-control. Don't put it up on the board. Because you're going to have to reveal the other ones. And then if, once you reveal all the, all the lines, then everyone just stops listening. Self-control. Because no one has self-control and they'll stop listening to me. (laughs) This is God. 
Moses, see that rock? The people are thirsty. Take your rod and smite that rock. Beat that thing. Hit it. He does it. A gushing river flows out of the rock. So much water. It is a geyser. And the water flows. And all the people are drinking. All the sheep are drinking. All of them. It's a river coming out of the rock. But then time passes and they are thirsty again. But this time... Moses is angry with the people. He's mad. <laughs> he's, he's, he's upset. God has done all these things and they still complain. Murmur, barking, complaining. Nothing's good enough. <laughs> we don't like the manna. You know, I'm tired of boiled manna. And, 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 and I'm tired of manna sushi and there's no fish. Manna burrito, but there's no meat. I'm tired of all of that. I don't want manna. What's for dinner? Manna. Boiled manna, fried manna, baked manna, sauteed manna. We can go a long time. Let's just, let's just leave it. That's all you got. Whatever it is, it's at the end of its manna. We're tired of it. Moses is angry. You got the cloud. You got the fire. You got, you got the Lord of hosts. You got all kinds of things happening in the wilderness. You got people confronting Moses and, and God finally saying, I've had enough of that. Burn them up, boom, swallow them up with an earthquake and just the whole earth. And people still have this insane idea that, that they can say whatever they want to. Even God once said, I heard you when you were in your own tent. As if your home is, is off limits and you can say whatever you want and say, well, this is my own home. Really? You think that God doesn't hear you in your own home? You think he only hears you when you're at the coffee table with other people at the restaurant? And that's not, that's the place. Well, I don't want to gossip here. But when you get your own home, you can say whatever you want. God said, I heard you when you were in your tent. I know everything that you're saying every minute of the day. And there's no place I cannot hear you. Please don't offer yourself an excuse. Because in the last segment of your life, there's got to be this self-control. Paul said, Temperate in all things. Temperance. And the problem is people don't learn temperance. And when you get old enough or too old, it's hard to learn temperance. Because you think you're an American living in the apostolic church. Well, all right. Let me just talk about it. This is not a democratic republic. This is a theocracy. There is no votes here. The Bible is true no matter what you think. God's holy no matter what you are. In fact, we never adjust the scripture to our our lives. We always adjust our lives to the scripture. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just savior. He's a merciful God. Thank the Lord. And, 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 And so... What we have this idea is that we don't have to learn anything new. Yes, you do. Every day we have to learn and we've got to employ this because in your leadership or in your last times or in these times or whatever you're at in this generation, there has to be this control. And so we've encountered that before. I just couldn't help myself. Really? I I just couldn't help myself. What are you, a rabid dog? Yes, you can. I, I'm sorry I messed up. I couldn't control. Yes, you can. You didn't want to. 
This is things we have to learn. Moses had to learn this. He didn't always get it right. And it crippled his advancement. Because when he hit the rock the second time, he interrupted the type. The word type there is a capital T. Because Jesus was struck. Jesus was struck the second time, but he wasn't struck twice. And the rock was a type of Christ. Speak. I'm sorry. Strike and speak. And that was a type of Jesus Christ. And God, though he esteemed Moses, and though the scripture says there was never a greater leader or a more humble man, and even called Moses a prophet, God would not allow someone to enter into the promised land and interrupt the type. Because the Lord's word, there's an order to it. And I don't care who you are. And if Moses couldn't get in, careful. Don't boast of yourself that you can interrupt anything God's trying to do. Be careful. Within this third segment, segment now I'm giving you the first one. And it'll be on the board. And now, you, now you, this is a wonderful moment. It's God initiatives. Now, now I, I have to unpack this. Oh, you did it. God initiatives. The mystery is what's in the middle. God initiatives. And in the third, in the, in the third segment, this is all about what God desires. This is, a, this is an amazing thing. We're in the last days of time. Everything that we do has to be led of the Lord. The place where you're in has to be led of God. You need to ask the Lord, Lord, lead me to the right person. Let it be initiated by the Holy Spirit. Let the church, let the worship, let the preaching, let the teaching, let my family be led of you. You should pray this. I don't even want to have a job that you did not want me to have, Lord. Let me have a career, a job, an opportunity that allows me to witness instead of just make money. If this doesn't apply to you, tell someone it does. You want a career and a job where you can witness and be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just a job to make money. And there's a lot of people who want a job to make money, but they have no intention of being a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they'll say, well, I can make more money over there. That's fine. Can you be a witness there? Well, no. Well, then, well, then why do you want to do that? Because when it's all said and done, your money is going to burn. It's going to waste away. It's going to be worth nothing. It's, it's a, it's a thing that the rust and the moth can corrupt it. But the soul lives forever. Amen. And I'm, I'm just going to say, all of you can have second and third jobs and never show up for Bible study or prayer or any kind of time in the, in the prayer room or any time on Sunday. Everyone can. But what do you, what do you have? You, all you have is a bank account. And if that's all you have, that's a meager and it's a, it's a horrible thing because the rich man is a rich man only when he's alive. No one is rich when they die. The rich man is a rich man only by virtue of his living. But if he loses his mind, or if something happens medically, he doesn't have anything left. We found this out. People will pay anything to have good health. Because they know my good health is worth more than my job. Everything's got to be a God initiative. God's got to lead us every step of the way. I, 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 want, I, want, I want you to know this. God's got to lead you every step of the way. 
I, I, I want to tell you, I, I, I'll, I'll preach the word. I can't lead you every step of the way. I cannot. I'm not Jesus Christ. Don't look to me to lead you every step of your way. I'll give you everything that I can. I'll pray for you. But you got to have a walk with God. Please stop putting the veil between you and me. The veil has been torn. Why would you want to put the veil back up? Why are we putting the veil back up? Is God so callous to your need? He cannot talk to you on Tuesday morning or Thursday night. Are you saying you've got to wait for the specific word that God, you've got to get back in your prayer clause. You've got to get back on your couch and say, God, I need direction from you. Look, you can ask me, and I may give you an answer. I don't know. As I get older, I'm realizing I have less answers. Don't get angry with me if I do like this. I'm not sure. I don't know. If I do know, I'll tell you. (laughs) But I'd rather you go talk to the Lord. But if you haven't talked to the Lord, you want to talk to me or somebody else. You've got it all backwards. God is going to initiate your place. you got to find your place in Jesus Christ. He is a good God. He tore the veil so that there's no, there's no barrier between you and him. I know what my place is. I know what I'm called to do. But I also know you are a child of the Most High God. Now, if the spiritual leadership in your life says, listen, I don't think that's good. Wait a second. That's not right. Or I think you should go here. Okay, that's fine. That may be a specific thing. But every day you need to ask the Lord, where should I go? What should I do? Lead my steps. I need need you to do this, Lord. Every day, every day, every day. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Moses Here's what I want you to do. You go to Pharaoh. You say, let my people go. I'm going to do the work. You bring your rod with you. And when they do some kind of magic trick, you just throw your rod down. It'll become a serpent. Hmm. I call that the superior serpent. Because God's ways will swallow up everybody else's ways. He's going to consume the whole thing. There'll be no evidence that those magicians even had a rod. If you ask me, it was, it was trickery, sorcery. But when Moses grabbed the end of that snake, his, his, his snake, his serpent became a rod again. God, it was a God initiative. I'm almost done. That's the saints telling me it's over. Amen. Thank you. And I, I apologize. I'm, I'm over time. I'll get to it. Letter B. I don't know who that was, so I'm sorry. You may be embarrassed, but nobody knows who you are. You're just, you're helping me. Letter B. In the third segment, there's an inherent humanity. Oh. Oh. You're going to have to deal with this humanity. I, I wish you didn't have to deal with it. But you're going to have to deal with yourself. I'm talking to everybody in this place right now and in this class here. Every one of us is going to have to deal with ourselves. It's inherent. I know, I know you've been born again of the water and spirit. So happy about it. But you don't have a glorified body and you don't have a glorified mind. And you still have to die every day to your flesh. And you still have to get in the mirror and say, I've got, I've got to change my ways. 
there ought not be a day that goes by, a month that goes by, where you say, really, you know what, I'm doing fine. No, you're never doing fine. Your flesh is always there, always there. There's always something going to tempt you, going to make you. Listen, you're going to have to deal with your flesh. It's inherent to who you are. This is what the Bible says. There is none good but one save God. No one is inherently good. All have sinned and fallen short. All have come short of the glory of God. Everybody. And I don't want anyone giving me the, the, the this, this narrative. Well, I've been in church all my life. Well, so what? The devil's been in church too. He comes every Sunday. His attendance record is probably better than yours. <laughs> That's right. Don't, don't, don't talk about merit. Don't talk about badges. Don't talk about, I, I hope you come every Sunday, but you still have this a flesh. And in that third segment of Moses' life and the placement of his life, you're going to have to come face to face with your own flesh and your own desire. And you're going to have to kill that every day. And it's going to, you're going to rationalize yourself. You're going to rationalize your life. You're going to make excuses for your life. And then you're going to think that you're absolved from things because you're going to throw up your hands and say, well, that's just my ethnicity. I'm Polish. I'm German. I'm, you don't understand, Pastor. My, I come from a long line of Vikings. <laughs> My ancestors were pirates. Sire. So what? You, you get rid of all that stuff. You, there is no ethnicity in Jesus Christ. You're all born of the blood. You're all washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. We got we got to deal with something inside of us. And our missionaries tell us wherever they go in the world, they're dealing with the same personalities all over the world. It's just, it's just inherent humanity and we gotta deal with that. Moses had to deal with that. He had to conquer that and we've got to conquer it. And we have something that he didn't have. You have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, He invested something in you. It was Him, the comfort of the great Spirit of truth is inside of you. And when that happened in you, here's the Bible, the Spirit of truth, the comforter. When He came, it's a birthing process and now we have to grow up. Amen. It's, it's, it's a growing and that's the placement of life. Amen. I, I, I'm three minutes over and I know that I am because the alarm already went off. Stand with me now, everybody. Amen. Jesus, right now I pray. I pray that we would be able to retain, learn, love the word. I pray. Help us, oh God. Build us up as a spiritual people, a holy nation. Let this be a royal priesthood, Lord. We, we do not despise that. Things that we learn in your word, the principles of life. I pray, Lord, let there be a mighty revival of people, Lord. Let the hungry that want you, Lord, come into this place. I pray, let us, let us find them in our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, Lord. Let us reach the lost before you come, Lord. Help us to engage everyone we see with the gospel, with the love of the Lord, with the, with the cross of Calvary. I pray in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let this place have a mighty revival, Lord, like we've never seen before. Let it burst out, Lord, like a river flowing. It cannot be stopped. I prayed in the name of Jesus, and everyone said in Jesus' name.